what a three-day event we are in the midst of. The 2013 Moore Mayhem on the 20th. Yesterday it was the 1953 F4 strike on Sarnia, and today we have the story of the EF5 that jolted Joplin. Hi, I'm Chris May, host of This Day in Weather History, a podcast from the Weather Network in Canada. Tornadoes are fierce and unpredictable. Chasers know this all too well, especially those who came back with research and images from the EF5 that crushed Joplin, Missouri on this day in weather history. We got in that very end of that basement, and the steps are where they stand. And as we got into that opening, everything came down. It stayed over our basement roughly 30 to 45 seconds. During that time, we were assaulted with fiberglass flying at high speed, glass flying at high speed, sand, concrete, you name it, it was coming at us. It wasn't anything I want to do over. They say once in a lifetime, which is fine by me. It is still considered today to be one of the deadliest tornadoes in the United States. It rated EF5 on the enhanced Vegeta scale, packing maximum sustained winds of over 200 miles per hour. That is over 350 kilometers per hour. It whacked most of the city that at the time had a population of over 50,000. Now that may sound wee by comparison to the much bigger cities in the Show Me State, but consider this. They had a population density of just under 1,500 people per square mile. What does that mean? You drop a tornado in there and it will affect everyone almost at the exact same time. And it did. The twister that struck Joplin, Missouri was directly responsible for the deaths of a staggering 158 people while injuring over 1,000 more. Now, regardless of this being in the famed Tornado Alley, this was actually the first single tornado in United States history to cause the deaths of over 100 people since the Flint, Michigan tornado of June 8th of 1953. Hold on, back up, wait a sec. Yesterday we covered an F4 that blazed a trail near that very same area back on the 21st of May of that very same 1953 year. That was a brutal time for Michigan back then. This tornado first touched down near the Missouri-Kansas state line and opened up as an entry-level EF zero strength. At first, it just took down some trees, but then it quickly got its bearings and began to bear down on intensifying. It quickly grew to EF1 intensity, destroying more trees and adding power lines to its list of destruction now. When it powered up again to an EF2 strength, it began damaging homes. The stronger it got, the more homes and cars it destroyed in subdivisions in its path. The National Weather Service saw what was building in the atmosphere and had already issued a tornado warning for Joplin. With this, the tornado sirens sounded in Joplin for a full 20 minutes before the strike. This was plenty of time for people to take cover, take shelter, and take care. But many people ignored that warning. What happened next caused that decision for many to be the last one they would ever make. As a meteorologist, seeing the damage in Joplin and Chickasha hammered home for me the real importance of studying these storms. Being able to predict when a tornado was likely to strike and giving even a few minutes of extra warning time could mean the difference between life and death for someone in the storm's path. Thanks for that, Mark, and we're going to hear more about storm hunters a little later on in this episode. But first, 
This out-of-control vortex blasted out windows, felled walls, and collapsed ceilings at the St. John's Regional Medical Center. And if ever we needed that medical center, it was now. That wasn't all. Those 200 mile per hour, 350 kilometer per hour winds literally picked up the airlift helicopter and blew it away. Meanwhile, in the powerless hospital, five people died because of the loss of backup power. The tornado continued at its full EF5 strength as it continued to flatten everything in its footprint, including whole neighborhoods. Many buildings and businesses were trashed, including a large church, the Franklin Technology Center, a local high school, and Greenbrier Nursing Home, where sadly and tragically, 21 people died. It went on to completely destroy a three-story apartment complex while outside it flipped and tossed cars on top of each other. I mentioned before that storm chasers are sometimes unfairly looked upon when things like this happen, but in reality, those are the fakes and phonies that the media focuses in on. They're the ones that are just looking for the thrill and the clicks on their social media sites. The actual and true storm chasers, or storm hunters in our case, are there for science. They're there to educate. And, when needed, they're there to help. With police and fire crews stretched to the limit, many storm chasers play a vital role in emergency response. We carry you know, a trauma bag in the truck, uh, any, uh, lots of tools for search and rescue. Um, it's just, you know, we're first responders because we're right next to the tornado when it does damage. And so, you know, I really feel obligated that that's, you know, my job is to step in and help in it with the search and rescue efforts. It is the seventh deadliest tornado in U.S. history. It's also the costliest single tornado in U.S. history, with its damages pegged at a staggering $2.8 billion. And this all went down this day in weather history. Tomorrow is May 23rd, and we're ducking away from historic tornadoes, but jumping back into the fire. Tomorrow we move ahead just one year on the weather history calendar to 2012, to an Ontario wildfire season that included the evacuation of the city of Timmins. That's tomorrow on This Day in Weather History with me, your host, Chris May.